mindfulness mode. There was no way of dealing with it or working with it at that time. There was not much awareness about it. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. Now, Mindful Tribe, I think you'll uh, have noticed that I'm not always now publishing individual episodes on Sundays. Sometimes I'm throwing in an interview, and today's another one of those days. I've just decided to mix it up sometimes, sometimes do my personal little message to you, and other times throw in a, an interview. And as you know, I enjoy running, and I always enjoy talking to people who are athletes, other people who run and do some of these things. And so that's the case today. He's passionate about running because he's done an Ironman and you'll find out that uh, he's going to be doing another one. So we'll talk about that. And he also is passionate about working on the topic of loneliness and helping people who are experiencing loneliness in your life. Oh, and hey, I have a bonus for you. Listen to the very end and you'll hear that I have a bonus for you. Sit back and just relax and enjoy today's episode. Mindful Tribe, we're here today to talk about a very serious topic and that is the topic of loneliness, depression, the topic of you know, trying to stay on top of things, leading a happy life by mixing with people, being with people, feeling open enough that you can share the kinds of things you you feel good about sharing. I'm here with author Nick Johnson. And Nick, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, and thank you so much for inviting me, Bruce. Looking forward to this. Yeah, my pleasure. It's really great to have you with us. And and I just want to take a second and share a little bit about Nick. Nick is passionate about helping executives deal with this problem that is often hidden away, this problem of loneliness and isolation. And this goal led Nick to become co-founder and managing director of one of Asia's premier networking organizations called Executives Global Network, EGN Singapore. It's a confidential peer group network providing more than 600 senior executives and business owners with a safe haven to share their challenge, to receive support, and to learn from each other. And Nick also does a lot of volunteer work in the area of mental health and suicide prevention. Nick, Tell us, uh, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, mindfulness uh, to me means that to be aware of what is happening because so often life goes in auto mode. We are moving so fast from uh, A to B that we, we just don't realize what is happening. And, and for me, mindfulness means even more than that. To me, mindfulness means recovery, survival. And I almost call myself, you know, uh, a, a recovered uh, in that sense that I had my own crisis and my own downtime and I came back and these days I'm more mindful than I was before. Well, that's impressive that you've been able to move through this. Now, you had a trauma that you experienced in 2019. Would you share with us what happened? Yes, certainly, Bruce. And it actually even went uh, back to 2018. And uh, before that, I went through a divorce and that led me to resigning from a job. I moved country and Finally, I found myself quite lonely. And the biggest challenge for all of this was that I didn't tell anyone about it. I kept it together the best I could. No one knew what was going on. And uh, that led me on my knees basically in 2018. Uh, I did luckily come through it, but it was in 2019 when a colleague and friend of mine died of suicide. That's when I realized that 
I need to speak up about this. Wow. Yeah, that must have really been devastating for you. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, this was a senior executive that we all thought had it all together. He actually had just come back from Mount Everest base camp. It was one of his dreams to to go and have that trip. He, he came back from the trip. He had a girlfriend and he posted on Facebook just before um, he went away that he's never been happier. So here was someone who had it all together on the outside and had a lot of friends and just no one had any idea that he was suffering internally. And what I call this, Bruce, in my book, I call it the smiling depression. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And it's very common with people who have mental health problems or depression. Is that not true? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I done some work around that. Then when I wrote my book, I did a study and I actually found out that about 30% of the senior executives that I interviewed uh, in, in Singapore have been suffering uh, from time to time from loneliness. And that also I realized was in line with the global numbers. But what is most uh, shocking here, Bruce, is that those numbers actually doubled during the pandemic. When I did the same survey to the same audience in 2020 in December, 59% of them said that they've been suffering from loneliness. 59%. Now, in your experience, do you find it more common in men or women, or is there any difference? Uh, I've seen it in both. Uh, I would say that men perhaps uh, don't talk about it as much. It seems like women have a few friends that they can talk about it, and therefore they're more likely to come out of it. But that doesn't mean that they're suffering less from it. Right. Well, your book is called Executive Loneliness, and the subtitle, The Five Pathways to Overcoming Isolation, Stress, Anxiety, and Depression, in the modern business world. Now, tell me why you think this applies particularly to executives and people in the corporate and business world. Well, as the old saying goes, it's lonely at the top. And it's certainly true because the higher you go up the hierarchy, the lonelier it gets. The less people you have at your seniority level to share the challenges with. And also, if you are leading an organization, many leaders perhaps are scared to show weaknesses and vulnerability because uh, then will the the board or the owners of an organization move me to the next challenge to the next job uh, so therefore it's quite likely that at the top you're 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 hiding uh, perhaps uh, some of the challenges you're going through you're trying to bite it together and you're trying to uh, to just make sure that you stir the ship in the right direction without showing weakness at least that is the old traditional style of leadership, Bruce, but uh, as I'm sure you're aware, we're going through some changes there and perhaps the pandemic have helped us to shame, change, then perhaps even it's time to see vulnerability in leadership as a strength. Right. We definitely are going through a lot of changes, that's for sure. Well, you do a lot of volunteer work and I know that you volunteer with a mental health organization. What kind of volunteer uh, work do you do with that organization? Well, there's so many grassroots volunteer organizations all around the world, uh, Bruce, in this space. And there's a lot of them which are anonymous. And uh, it doesn't matter what kind of, of uh, perhaps addiction or challenge you have. If you go in and look it up in Google, you will find something close to you. And that's what I did when I had my crash in 2018. I had uh, gained weight and uh, very quickly. And I also picked up an alcohol addiction. And I didn't really know what to do with this. And luckily, I got some help. And they, what I found was that a lot of these then were non-paid for. They were 
uh, on a volunteer basis, you can give a few dollars in a donation or a contribution if you wanted, but you, you are not forced to. And I just found that it was such a beautiful uh, support. And to get this when I also was in, 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 in this real need without being asked to pay something was something that I realized, well, they helped me and now I need to give this back for the rest of my life. And uh, so that is why I'm, I'm now trying to be part of these organizations as a volunteer. Right. Well, that's very impressive that you're doing that and, and also working with suicide prevention. So are you on a hotline or what kind of work do you do there? So um, when I then found out that my friend died of suicide in 2019, I decided to take immediate and fast action. The first that it was set up a fundraising campaign for the suicide hotline here in Singapore. Uh, and uh, then I went to do a triathlon race, an Ironman race in Sweden, and all the funds I raised was for this, this uh, beautiful organization. And I have since then continued my work and all the profits I got uh, from the book and also all the keynote talks and everything I've done around the book have also been donated to uh, this charity. And for every talk I've given, I ask the companies or the participants to also donate to it. And not only then the funds, but the fact that we are raising awareness about this, because it could be that you have a colleague, a friend or a family member, perhaps who's going through a challenging time. And just the fact that you have this hotline available uh, it can, in this instance, be life-saving. And uh, as, as for a volunteer basis, they have uh, people who are manning the hotlines. I don't man the hotline myself. I more work with people when they have passed that stage uh, as a coach. I'm also a certified coach, and I can work with a few on a one-by-one -one basis to help them come back to life. And many times it's just to have someone who they can uh, who can hold them accountable as they find their way back. So when you begin to coach people who are going through this challenge, what's your process and how often do you meet with them? Well, it need to be a few times a week as a start, uh, at least I would say twice and then it can be once a week, but the key is to have key agreements what they agree on what are, was is it doing its baby steps most of the time. It's uh, such a thing as going out for a walk every day. And, and perhaps just some basic things to get back to get some sleep and positive energy in life. I see. So how important is exercise when you're depressed? Actually, uh, uh, in my book, uh, as you said, I wrote about the five steps. And uh, I, if I can talk them through very briefly, perhaps. Absolutely. The first one is to take stock. It's to look at yourself. You know, what is it that is wrong? In my case, I had gained weight. I had stopped exercising and I was consuming too much alcohol. So the first is just like you are a shop owner or a store owner, you need to do the inventory once or twice a year. You need to do this with yourself and have this honest look. So that's the first step as I'm describing in the book. Right, do the inventory, yeah, right. And go ahead with number two. Yeah, and number two is then asking for help. So once you've done the inventory, you can look around and see what, where can you turn with each issue. And what can you do about it and asking the people. So in my case, then to address the alcohol challenge, I, I went to an organization to sort that out for the, uh, the weight gain and so on. I was talking to a nutritionist who could help me with that and so on. So that was the second step, really looking around who can help me. And then once you have that in order, the third one is indeed getting healthy. It's a uh, it's nothing else you can attack, uh, do uh, before you are healthy yourself until you have a clear mind. So 
often that is of course exercise and I call it in my book the real natural happy pill uh, exercise so in my case I I had to go through some medication I was prescribed some medication during this uh, stage because I was in, in in depression and my way of getting out of that was basically for exercise Bruce right right Okay, and uh, so so we start with becoming aware of the problem. Secondly, openly ask for help. Third, adopt a healthy lifestyle. And what comes next? The fourth is nurturing healthy relationships. Uh, because many times if we've been unwell, uh, we might have cut off people. We might have snapped at people because we've not been in, in a good space. So in many times, people have just isolated themselves and the, the friends and colleagues and family members might not understand why you have been silent and quiet to them and they might feel guilty and sad and think that they've done something wrong and so you we need to go back and wake up our relationships in this case sometimes it's making amends perhaps it's apologizing to someone because what is happening when you repair all your relationship in life then you will start to feel better about yourself and 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 what I do now, uh, Bruce, uh, as I cleared all my baggage from the past and repair relationship, I'm trying to do this on a day-to-day basis. So just before I go to bed every night, I look back at the day and think, did I send an email to someone? Was there a message to someone that wasn't very nice? And I just clear that before I go to bed so I can have a good night's sleep. Right. Right. Nurturing healthy relationships. And that's certainly very, very important to do. And what's your final step? Uh, Finding uh, your purpose. So that was really for me to look deep inside myself. What is it that makes me really happy? And what makes me uh, contribute to my society and my community? And uh, that is something that I do now for my volunteering and the charity work I do. And from also writing this book where I really I see it as a tool to help other people. Uh, If someone else is not well or perhaps have someone else, then it's like a guided book where you can go through these steps and feel better about yourself. Right. And I know that different people find different ways to discover their life purpose. What are some of the different ways that you can dig in and really figure out why you have been placed on the earth? Well, a great way is indeed to work with a coach, a life coach, for example, who can uh, go deep and help you with this process. In, in, I was blessed and lucky enough, Bruce, in, in one of my recovery programs, you were given a sponsor, which is sort of a mentor or a coach. It means someone who's gone through these steps before and helped you. And this person helped me and I'm now giving back and helping other people. But I certainly do this in my coaching also where I'm helping people to really go deep in some themselves and see what is it uh, that, that they connect with. What is it that and make them excited in life and make them happy. Right. Nick, I want to talk specifically about the Ironman that you did and how you led up to that. Does that make you excited in life? <laughs> yes, it does <laughs> indeed. And and to complete the full distance Ironman, you know, just I did it about 14, 15 months after I was on my knees and I was extreme overweight where I could struggling to walk three kilometers. Oh, wow. Wow. And then you, did you start with the walking and then moved into running? Yes. So I got myself a coach and from the beginning it was managed by an app and there's so many beautiful apps now for this and you have the wearable devices. So if you have a coach or a plan, you can download that plan on the internet also 
you can really start from walking and then as long as you spread it out over a year uh, you can take it to running a marathon or in this case uh, an Ironman but I was very dedicated I was excited to get a taste back on life again and I I, I really really enjoyed every moment of it every moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> because that a little bit <laughs> It is a bit painful, there, I have to say, but yes, I did. Right. But uh, I'm very dedicated, and even now I'm training, Bruce. I have a my alarm is at 4:20 a.m. tomorrow. I will go up cycle again. Oh wow, wow! And so, how long, how far do you cycle every day usually? Uh, well, I cycle three times a week. I still follow a plan which a coach gives me. Uh, tomorrow is 165 kilometers. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. pretty good length. Do you find that any of these um, activities are hard on your body? Some people find running can be hard on their body or not so much swimming, certainly. But what do you find? I find it's important to balance it. And that's why I like the triathlons and the Ironman events rather than just running. Just running is too hard on the body. But at least when you swim, bike and you run and you mix it up, uh, it seems to be better. But of course, uh, aging as well, I have to be careful and... uh, I have to really look after myself. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm very interested in all three of those sports. Tell me about the swimming. Did that come easily to you? Uh, it didn't at all. And I think it's quite common um, that it doesn't. And uh, I still also go to swim academy every Monday night, which is a social thing to do. You meet some people also, and there's a coach there. So uh, I, it's like a adult swim classes. I need to go to that and I'm still struggling with it. And I, I was never a good dancer as well, you know, and it's all about choreography when it comes to swimming. And uh, as you age, also the body is stiffer. So you can see a small child swimming much faster than me. Yeah, well, I hear you. I uh, Before the pandemic started, I had decided I wanted to uh, get into swimming and do more swimming and it did not come naturally <laughs> I, I thought gosh if I didn't have to breathe I'd be fine <laughs> because that's the thing you have to you have to have that choreography you have to be you have to be uh, able to just make it all work and when you see a swimmer who is very good at it it just looks so effortless doesn't it yes absolutely and uh, I'm in the in the swim academy I have now, I'm always in the slowest lane, lane one, you know, with the beginners. I just don't improve much. Uh, even if I practice now for many years, it's a one or two seconds faster per 50 meter, not more. I see. And you use a, a Garmin device to help you with your running and your cycling. Is that right? Yes, always here. Even there to uh, measure my sleep as well. I find the sleep and the recovery is the more, more, more important than anything. Right. I see. Yes. Yes. Well, so with the cycling, do you do you do the cycling in the countryside or what kind of location are you in where you can do the cycling? So I live in Singapore, which is a small little island on the south of Malaysia there, basically. So um, the loop I have to cycle around the island is, is about 120 kilometers. So that's a about four or five hours of cycling and that's one lap around the whole country basically uh, of course now borders are opening up so you can cycle into malaysia if you want uh, but that's basically as far as you can go and 
Um, so then you have to bring your passport and pass through the passport control and stuff, which perhaps I'm not so comfortable with uh, still with just the borders opening. So I stick to Singapore and uh, Lapo one and a half around here will do. And so what were some of the other challenges you had as a result of the pandemic? Well, uh, Singapore had a pretty strict uh, COVID policy. It was quite a hard long lockdown for quite a long time. We still have restrictions in place here. Uh, we are allowed to see 10 people in a group now. It was increased from groups of six uh, just actually two weeks ago. And so, yeah, we, it's still quite controlled over here. The nightclubs and the nightlife has not reopened yet, for example. Mm -hmm. So uh, not that I uh, like to go to nightclubs anymore, but I, that paint you the picture that we are still in a bit of a sort of semi-lockdown mode over here. Um, but for me, it's been a blessing, Bruce. I have I'd like to look at it on the positive side. I have traveled and I managed to see, see my family back home in Sweden more than ever, because normally we would just go for a week and then go. Now, due to uh, I had to quarantine when I came back to Singapore two weeks every time in a hotel. So therefore, I stayed longer and I had a good chance to reconnect with my family back home as a result of this. Right. Well, that's great. And so you were able to swim then throughout the pandemic, were you? Because I know here in Canada, I don't think... I don't know of any public pools that have been open or any, like even pools in apartment buildings have often been closed. So what's the situation been with you? Yes, it's been uh, similar. It was closed for quite some time as well. Uh, even you couldn't go and swim in the ocean even. Okay, yeah, that's what I wondered. Yeah, mm. so it's certainly made it challenging. And I'm sure you're going to be looking forward to a time when things are more open and you'll be able to do more of what you choose to do when you want to do it. Absolutely. Hopefully we're coming out of that now. Let's hope so for all of us. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you have uh, put some videos on YouTube and you've done different interviews. And uh, what kind of message do you want people to really hear? What's your central message that you want to get across? Well, my key message here, Bruce, is that we need to talk about things. We need to talk about things with our family, our friends and, and colleagues. And, I, and when it comes to leaders, then as a leader, we need to dare to be vulnerable. Uh, you cannot expect the organization uh, to have middle managers coming in and sharing when they're going through a difficult time. If the leader, uh, the boss of the organization have not been opening up before. So it starts at the top. And that's why I'm addressing this message. And that's why I call it executive loneliness. And it's a message to everyone who is a business owner or to someone who is uh, in a president or managing director position of a bigger organization to dare to be vulnerable, to dare to be yourself and show some humanity to the team because everyone will feel much better then. Nick, what was one of the biggest challenges in writing this book? Uh, the biggest challenge was uh, to include my story there. Uh, I didn't have my story from the beginning. It was mainly interviews by other people. I didn't want it to be about me, but the publisher uh, encouraged me uh, to, to really uh, put my story there. And in the beginning, it was just a little bit of it, but they pushed me. We want more. We want more. So, you know, to put your story out there and once it's in a book and on sale on Amazon, there's no way back, is it? 
Yeah, exactly. And and isn't that part of our problem is that sometimes we don't want to open up with other people. I know I was talking with a friend yesterday and she said, but how are things with you, Bruce? What's happening with you? And I realized after the conversation that I tended to deflect and I started talking about what my wife's doing, what my son's doing. And I thought, well, I never really dug in and told her much about myself. Do you find the same thing is true for you? Yes, I think so, Bruce. It's, it's a natural tendency that we try to divert that conversation. We we just don't feel comfortable to talk about it. And again, as I said, I call it the smiling depression in the book. That we we all it's easy to just have a smile on and just say that everything is fine, and then we 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 happy to move on from that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, Nick. I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time, and I always ask my guests a question about bullying. Did you ever experience a problem with bullying in your life, either as an adult or as a child, where mindfulness would have made a difference? Uh, yes, as a child, I experienced it both. I was part of the kids who were bullying others, and I was bullied myself. It was very common back in Sweden when I grew up. I'm born in 1975, so we're talking in the 80s here. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no way of dealing with it or working with it at that time. There was not much awareness about it. Uh, I understand that these days uh, things have improved, uh, luckily. Yeah, that's true. So tell me more about what you endured. What what sorts of things happened as a child when you were bullied? Well, uh, yeah, I changed schools quite some time, Bruce, mm-hmm. um, and moving from one village to a bigger city and coming in there. Uh, so it was very much about, you know, uh, you, you would normally team up. You would have the kids who perhaps uh, were into sports and others who were into studying and you will group up with uh, some kind of find your own little clan, should I say, in, in class. And I was one of the good students in one school. But when I came over and moved to another school, I suddenly found myself uh, in the group of the kids that with the lowest grades. And then you automatically were sort of, you know, frozen out from 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 the other kids. And I, I remember that was a very, very uh, challenging period for me. And it led uh, uh, to uh, me not wanting to be in school and I for the first time in my life I think I was about 13 14 years of age when I well, didn't want to go to school and I was trying to hide and and so on and that was not a good place to be in right okay so so you experienced this feeling of trying to hide even back then and then later you tried to hide your depression as well so it sounds like a pattern wasn't it yes uh, it's certainly a pattern something that wasn't addressed as a child and and then reappearing in, in adulthood as well. Right. As we move forward in the interview, Nick, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So the first one is this. Uh, I want to ask you, who has who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? A powerful mindfulness influence. Um, I would say the following, Bruce, just as we came out of the 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 hard lockdown here in Singapore. I was looking at meditation, and I signed up for a local Buddhist temple here. They had a meditation class in the evenings, and it was just when you were allowed to come back in person again. And I I, I knew about mindfulness and meditation in the sense that I had an app, I tried some things, but I never really mastered it. 
So I saw this as a chance to master it. So while I don't know the name of this Buddhist monk, but I have to say he had a huge impact in my life because I started to really appreciate meditation. And that made me connect better with a power greater than myself, connect with myself and really to get that break and pause in my life. Very interesting. My second question is about your emotions. And I'm wondering how mindfulness has helped you to deal with your emotions or helped you be more aware of your emotions possibly. Yes, it has made me much more aware uh, by being able to meditate and also to do prayer. I now try to do prayer in the morning and in the evening uh, just to hand things over which are challenging. It has uh, really helped me to do that. And uh, I would say it helped me to put my ego in shape in that sense that, you know, I'm not the one running the show and, uh, uh, and just put me down and make me grounded. Right, right. Very interesting. And I want to talk to you about breathing because I know as such an athlete, uh, breathing is important. But what are your thoughts on breathing? Yes, breathing is super important. And uh, one of my friends who I cycle with tomorrow, when we go down, it's a long airline straight, basically a 20 minutes place where we can cycle straight. Mm -hmm. Uh, He even managed to count his breathing the whole time. So he's so mindful of the breathing that he knows after I breathed 166 times, for example, I cannot keep going that long. uh, But... uh, uh, it makes it what I'm getting at, Bruce. It makes a huge impact, and he's a fantastic athlete. And actually, I, I, my coach, who is a eight times top ten Kuna finisher in Hawaii, wow. Uh, he he says that breathing makes the biggest impact to him in, in the sport as well. And he he keep reminding me that if I ever wait for the bus or I wait at the airport, that I should do some breathing exercises that he he taught me. Right. Very good. Very good. And uh, you already mentioned your Garmin. And so I know that apps are important to you. Are there any books that you have read that you have found very helpful in this area of mindfulness? Uh, the Power of Now, the big old classic. Yes. Yeah, I have it as an audio book. It's great, right? Yeah, it really is. And your book, Executive Loneliness, is a book I recommend for anyone out there, whether you're feeling isolated, you're experiencing anxiety and stress and depression, well, check out Nick's book, Executive Loneliness, because it's a book that can be very powerful. Reading this book, hearing Nick's personal story and and what's going on. I'd, I'd just like to ask you about uh, meditation today. Now, you talked about meditation. What does it look like for you every day? Do you meditate on a daily basis? I do meditate at least four or five times a week, Bruce. I should meditate more. I'm just stretching here because on my desk also I have this Muse headband tool, which has also helped me to meditate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, The Muse headband is, and we'll put that in our show notes as well, that you use the Muse headband because I know a lot of people find this very helpful. So thanks for that. Yeah. Our our show notes, mindfulnessmode.com listeners. And you can go there and see all the information about this interview. So, yeah, that's that's very interesting that you use the Muse headband. And are you planning to do another Ironman? Yes, I have one, uh, half one on July 10 and a full on August 20. So I'm in training mode now. Oh, wow. So you're going to have a busy summer. Yeah. Yes, and exciting. To that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Nick, it has really been an honor to be able to interview you and to learn your story and to hear how you help so many other people. And I, I want to take my hat off to you for doing so much volunteer work and, and writing this book and doing all of this to help people. So it's obvious that you have realized why you're placed on this earth to help people with this problem. So thank you so much. Do you have a final word of advice for anyone going through anxiety, going through loneliness and depression at this point? Uh, Yes, certainly, Bruce. And uh, that is, if you have something on your mind now and you're listening to this, think about who can you share this with? Who can you talk about uh, what you're feeling, what you're going through, because that's half the problem solved already by just sharing it with someone. And you'd be surprised how willing people are to listen. Right, yes. Mindful Tribe, you can go to Nick's website, nickjohnson.com, and it's spelled N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-S-O-N nickjohnson.com and you can go there and check out uh, what he has on his website thanks so much for being on the show today nick yes thank you so much for inviting me bruce it's been a pleasure it certainly has bye now mindful tribe thank you for listening today thank you for being here thank you for subscribing to the podcast i appreciate that and as i mentioned at the top of the show i said you know stay tuned and i have an offer for you and it's about my tiktok channel. I'm excited about getting more and more followers on TikTok and sharing the message about mindfulness out on TikTok. And I like to put up mindfulness mode moments and just share little tidbits, little little tiny ideas, thoughts, and, and so on. And you can find me by just searching my name, Bruce Langford on TikTok. And if you connect with me on TikTok and then jump over to YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel, that's Mindfulness Mode on YouTube. Subscribe to my channel. Then send me a message on TikTok that you've subscribed to both. Then I will send you a Mindfulness Mode t-shirt. So I look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the episode today. Just take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.